Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a parenting podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Sam Fader, who is the director of the Disclosure documentary on Netflix. A little bit about the documentary. Disclosure is an unprecedented, eye-opening look at transgender depictions in film and television, revealing how Hollywood simultaneously reflects and manufactures our deepest anxieties about gender. Leading trans thinkers and creatives, including Laverne Cox, Lily Wachowski, Yance Ford, MJ Rodriguez, Jamie Clayton, and Chaz Bono share their reactions and resistance to some of Hollywood's most beloved moments. Grappling with films like A Florida Enchantment, 1914, Dog Day Afternoon, The Crying Game, and Boys Don't Cry, and with shows like The Jeffersons, The L Word, and Pose, they trace a history that is at once a dehumanizing, yet also evolving complex and sometimes humorous. What emerges is a fascinating story of dynamic interplay between trans representation on screen, society's beliefs, and the reality of trans lives. Reframing familiar scenes and iconic characters in new in a new light, director Sam Fader invites viewers to confront unexamined assumptions and shows how what once captured the American imagination now elicit new feelings. Disclosure provokes a startling revolution in how we see and understand trans people. Sam was absolutely delightful. We got into a long conversation about the documentary, about trans representation, both in society and in media, and gives some tips and advice for how we can raise more inclusive kids and how we ourselves can help foster a more inclusive worldview. Stick around. My conversation with Sam will be right up after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is Sam Fader. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, Sam, I'm really excited to talk with you today about the Disclosure documentary as well as transgender representation and gender. And there's a lot of interesting paths I think we can go with this conversation. Um, And one of the things that I I actually started to tell you offline and I wanted to wait and and get it on the podcast was I I had the pleasure actually of meeting Zeke Smith, who's featured in your documentary uh, a couple of years ago. He was absolutely a a delight. And for those who don't know, uh, Zeke was a former Survivor contestant, and he was uh, unfortunately infamously outed on TV by a f- by another cast member. And but one of the things that I've really loved about following Zeke's journey is he's he and CBS were able to turn that into a good opportunity as far as uh, raising repre- uh, awareness for transgender representation. And then he was able to go and do a lot of speaking engagements. And he's just a fantastic individual. But I, I saw Zeke share the Disclosure documentary and I immediately went and watched it. And it was fantastic. And I've told a lot of people about it. And I started to say, I love the documentary and I I enjoy it and I think it's powerful, but I struggle with the word love. And what I mean by that is it is very difficult to watch because it's hard, it's hard to, um, I think, come to, so let me, let me speak from my perspective as a cisgender white individual is it is difficult to be brought face to face with the reality of how we have misrepresented individuals both in media and in real life. And I think that is where I struggle with the love. I love it because it's powerful and it was a great educational vehicle for me. And it really empowered me to um, look for stuff I hadn't looked before, approach conversations and perspectives. And we're talking about representation, diversity, representation, awareness, um, teaching my kids to be a better uh, individuals. It, it, brought up a lot of things I hadn't thought about before and it made me want to be better and to do better. And, but typically when I'm saying I'm, I love something, it's like, you know, it's, it's more, it's more maybe like lighthearted as far as like content I'm consuming on Netflix. Right. But I think I love this because this documentary disclosure is so powerful and it can 
do a lot. It is already doing so much positive work, and I think it can continue to do it as we continue this discussion around it. So that's what I wanted to share, and I would love to get your perspective on, um, you know, what you have seen so far since it's been on Netflix, and we're going to dig into the genesis of that here in just a second. What I've seen so far, as far as like, um, as far as the response to disclosure on Netflix, what have you seen from? Um, from folks talking about it and discussing it in the media specifically? I love that question. Um, first off, thank you so much for having me. I love your show. Um, also, Zeke Smith is not only one of my favorite humans, but that episode where his trans status, his trans experience was outed non-consensually, I actually felt was, it was the first time I actually saw the like bad guy lose, right? Like the guy who outed him he was the one who got booed, right? He was the one that the rest of the team was like, no, 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 you're wrong, you know, right. for what you're doing. Whereas in the past, the rest of the team would turn towards Zeke and be like, yes, how could you do that, right? And, and what the guy was saying, when the guy outed Zeke, he said that Zeke had been deceiving people. And that is one of the ongoing tropes that we've seen again and again and again in the media that we've also seen mirrored in real life from you know, just interpersonal relationships to the criminal justice system, that trans people are blamed for the violence they receive because of their trans status, right? It's, it, you're, it's considered an excuse for something horrible that happens to a transgender person. So that for me, when I, I wasn't a survivor uh, viewer, but when I met Zeke, I checked it out and I was blown away by the, how it spun on a dime and the whole team defended Zeke. And then I found that I was like, okay, things are shifting. For me, that was a moment where I was like, oh my God, these people have had enough education that they right. know right from wrong in this situation. And that is decades of work, you know, on the backs of so many activists and artists, you know. Um, so that was a thrilling moment. And, and Zeke remains one of my closest friends. And I, he's so charming and fantastic in, in the film. You know, his scene is one of, the, one of the two scenes people refer to all the time. Um, the reception to Disclosure has been phenomenal. I mean, I, I, I really couldn't ask for more at this point. I, you know, releasing a film during um, not only a pandemic, but during an uprising um, yeah. was, you know, uh, nothing I ever imagined. <laughs> yeah. You know, we spent five years on this film and we expected after, you know, we premiered at Sundance, which was a lifelong goal. And got ready to travel the world we had like 40 festivals we were ready to go to all around the globe and then everything shut down um and so reimagining that and then dealing with all the pandemic and then you know um when we made our press announcement that it, we had our release it was it was the weekend that the uprising began so it was really confusing and we had no choice about the date um and it was it was wild and you know, I very quickly realized how grateful I was to be able to contribute to this national conversation in a way I never anticipated. You know, right. making the film, I knew that these were really vital conversations that were not gonna go away anytime soon. Um, but I you know, could never have imagined that this film would be of use to such a historical moment um, that we're living in. So, you know, the, the response has been everything from looking at that big picture to, you know, more personal moments, you know, where you're sharing earlier of how people are getting that, yes, this is um, entertainment and storytelling and film and TV, but it's actually the way they see people in real life. Right. And they're making that connection and they're reckoning with it and they're learning. And I think, you know, also because of the moment we're in, in this national reckoning, um, people are open-hearted more than ever before. They want to learn. And I, you know, I think, you know, disclosure has entered this moment where people are receptive and, and less defensive and less guarded and are ready to say, I don't know what I don't know. And, and, you know, and here's two hours you can sit down and watch and maybe learn something. Right. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting when I have these tiny moments with people where they're like, Oh my God, I've never felt so seen before. Or, Oh my God, I am ashamed and I'm so ready to learn. Right. Um, I don't want people to feel ashamed. Obviously, I'm not trying to make people feel bad, but I'm whatever it takes for people to learn. I'm thrilled. Yeah. You know, um, when people talk about how this is not just a history of trans representation, it's a film history. You know, it's a look at American history. You know, those are such rewarding 
uh, comments and feedback to, to hear. Um, and, you know, there's still so much we didn't get to touch on. Um, so there's right. still so much more of the story to, to be told. What I love about Disclosure, as far as the individual stories, are people being able to share their authentic selves. And actually, that brings me to uh, today's sponsor. So today's sponsor of the podcast is Snuffy, which is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C-O. And the uh, owner of that company is Nick Silvestri, who designed the Detox Podcast logos, but the regular one and the Pride Month one. So if you like his work, go support Snuffy. I think it perfectly ties in today's conversation. So there you go. What does Snuffy sell? So they sell shirts, they sell hoodies, they sell all uh, tote bags, and I believe stickers as well. So they sell all types of different merchandise. So yeah, they're based out of uh, Boston. Awesome. Uh, And then... I love that they're donating some of the proceeds to those. Do you know which organizations they're donating uh, to? I do not know. I believe it changes. I know for June, it actually all, uh, more than 50% of their profit went to um, a specific freedom fund in Minnesota to free activists um, who are protesting. So I know it changes, um, I think, month to month. But I believe if you go to their Instagram, SnuffyCO, uh, they are promoting not only their products, but also the charities that they're donating to. Oh, I there love the show even more. Thank right? You. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about some of the early genesis of Disclosure. So where did the idea for this type of documentary come from? And then let's kind of walk through those five years of how it developed over time into the film that we see today. So, you know, it's always such a confluence of so many different things that happen to make a film come to fruition. Um, least of all delusion, but you know, I've been making feature documentaries since um, the early 2000s, maybe even, maybe 1998 was when I really started. But, um, and early in my education around making work, there were two films I saw that really changed my relationship to the media. Um, the first was this film in 19, that came out in 1987, I saw it after that. Um, but it was, it's called Ethnic Notions and it's made by the black queer um, filmmaker, experimental filmmaker, Marlon Riggs, who passed away um, in the early 90s, I believed. But Ethnic Notions is a film about how Black people are represented in Hollywood. And the other film that really affected me was called The Celluloid Closet. And that came out in 1995. And that's about how gay and lesbian people are represented in Hollywood. And Ethnic Notions in particular really changed the way I saw things because it, looking at the representation of how, looking at how Black people have been represented in film, was such a reflection of American history, right? And rather than saying this is a particularly marginalized Black experience in history, it was like, this is American history, this is our history, and this is another way to look at it rather than always centering the cis, white, straight, male viewpoint. Right. Um, and so it really shattered a lot of like, a lot of belief systems and, and ways of, 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 finding my way through through the world and history and understanding how to share other stories and, and what it needs to slightly shift the lens. And so I really was curious about, as a filmmaker, I was curious about how the evolution of trans representation, you know, was in dialogue with our history. And, and so the place to start was to collect that material and, and look at it. So that was something I had just been thinking about for many years and then you fast forward to 2014 so you know 14 15 years later into my filmmaking career um I had finished a couple films at that point and you know trans visibility and my film my previous films had always been on trans issues and by 2014 trans visibility was just emerging more than ever before and I you know I, there were two things that I found really disconcerting about how the media was talking about this emergence. You know, that um, because visibility was increasing, there was this uh, mythology that this was a success. Like now trans people have achieved success. Um, you know, and there was also this idea that trans people were something new. And I really felt compelled 
to give trans and non-trans people more context to understand these changes in our culture, to have a sense of the history, how, how we got to this point of visibility, while foregrounding the point that visibility is not the goal, right? It's a means to an end. Um, and so, you know, during these years, I just felt there was so much more to the story than what was being talked about. And I wanted to tell that story. So that's how Disclosure came about. I absolutely love that. And, and I think representation is so, so key because, and this is something I've definitely discussed before is it's easy for, for, and so I'm speaking as someone who is in Texas, right? So we're in the Southern part of the United States where there tried to be a bathroom bill about uh, folks not being allowed into bathrooms except for what matches their birth certificate. Luckily that was struck down, that was not implemented, but it's still a scary discussion that you have a large population of uh, the Texas political structure that was pushing for it at a certain particular, uh, particular time. But I say all of that because one of the things I've discussed on the show and I've really been preaching is it is easy and I mean, you can continue to look at society now and see how we're continuing to be divisive in, in different areas as the 2020 election ramps up. But it is easy for you, for you as an individual, not you, Sam, but you, one as an individual to have these biases and these prejudices against a group of people if you have zero contact with them. If you don't have contact with them, if you don't hear their story, if you don't hear their perspective, it is very easy for someone to put them in a box, label them as scary or dangerous, and then you form your opinion based off of that. Whereas when you get to meet and talk to and discuss and listen to someone of these groups that you're not used to hearing from, now all of a sudden you recognize that, oh, Joe is just like me. He's a person with hopes and dreams and fears, wants to live his life to the fullest, be his authentic self, and raise his family. And there's nothing different about him than me, except that we have different share, we have different experiences. We have different life experiences that inform how we view and see and interact with the world. And that's what we're trying to do here at the show is bring these stories one at a time. So folks I know that are based here in Texas and in other parts of the United States are able to get this perspective. But but it can be so so mishandled. And I think that's something that Disclosure does a great job of displaying is I'll take um, I, I, the Danish girl with um, Eddie Eddie Redmayne, right? And so that's a story that is a very powerful story, but it's played by a cisgender male actor, not a transgender actor. And and I, you know, when it came out, my thought was not this isn't being my my thought was not oh this isn't being represented by someone in the community. My thought was great, the story is being told. But I think when you take when you take someone's story and then you tell it yourself as opposed to allowing them to tell the story, you lose some of the power. You know what I mean? And so let's talk through, I think maybe this would be something I would love to get your perspective on, is what were some of the more powerful stories as you started to peel back individuals' experiences um, being represented and then also some of the historical um, representations that you've seen as well. So maybe what were some of the more powerful stories that stood out to you as you were putting this together? Mm. Gosh, I, you know, <laughs> it's all, all of disclosure, right? Sure, yeah. All of those right. stories are the ones I, I curated out of fair enough, fair hours, enough. Hours, and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of material. Um, you know, Kind of just circling back, and I will answer that, but circling back to the way you started this question about how, you know, so many people don't know trans people. It's 80% right. of Americans say they've never met a trans person, you know, and the, that the only trans people they think they, they, as far as they know, they don't think they met a trans person. So their right. only experience of trans people is what they see through film and TV. And right. when... And you, when you understand that and you watch Disclosure and you see this 100-year story of representation, suddenly it all clicks why so many people think we're not real, right? right? Why people think it's, and if they do think we're real, we must be mentally ill, right? That, that, we're, that, that we don't des deserve the same human rights, that we don't deserve to live. Um, and, and once you kind of can get into that mindset, you, it, it's no surprise that the large, large you know, percentage of the population thinks it's okay to limit us from public space, right? right, Be it, right. Whether it's a bathroom, 
you know, or a hospital. Um, so, you know, we, part of the target audience for this film is, you know, people that care, think they care about us, right? Think they understand and, and they just need that little nudge to, to like realize what they don't know, right? We don't right. know what we don't know and opening that door. Um, and I felt that really going with personal stories, you know, is that way of asking people to meet you in the middle. Like here, we're gonna be, we're gonna be vulnerable, we're gonna open up, we're gonna share something really precious and you, I want you to meet us in that same space. Um, and I think some of those stories just, just nail it. I mean, those folks in the film are just so brilliant and, and, and gorgeous and, and vulnerable. You know, just yeah. to be that open is such a gift to anyone who gets to be on the receiving end of it. Um, you know, Rain Valdez tells that story in the beginning of the film where she takes us back to how her family growing up to a large Filipina family and she, they would every Saturday watch movies together in the living room, family living room. And she takes us back to this moment where she was sitting on the floor with some cousins and her family is kind of sitting around them in the couch or whatever and they're eating lunch and a movie they all love comes on uh, called Soap Dish and everyone's laughing, it's really funny, it has an incredible cast. You know, Sally Fields is in it. Um, I think one of the Downey Juniors is in it. Um, really fun you know Whoopi Goldberg is in it right and they get to the you know the climax of the film where it's revealed that the evil villain is a trans woman right and it's supposed to be funny you know there's a lot of gagging and nausea we're supposed to be laughing at this reveal but Rain's family got silent because Rain was old enough at that point where they saw how feminine this child was and the in that moment the whole family was like is this what the future holds for our child. And Rain could feel that. And she said, they never talked about it, except the next day, her mom tried to dress her in more boy clothes, right? Mm -hmm. Suddenly the way, you know, the family had sort of embraced her femininity up to that point. And then there was this hard pivot, you know? And it's a really emotional moment, right? You just, you can empathize with this child and that moment that everything changed and they were not safe anymore. Right. And it's heartbreaking. Um, you know, there's another moment that painful yet gives more hope um, where Jen Richards talks about, um, you know, she was part of that uh, reality TV series short-lived called I and Kate. Um, and there was a moment where Jen and other people in the series were with a, a parents of transgender children. And they went to this right. like, you know, support group. And one of the, and Jen in real time saw this parent talk about how, how lucky he felt to have a trans child, right? Like how lucky he was to get to experience the world through his child's eyes, you know? And I, you know, and, and it was the first moment that Jen realized that all of the rejection she received from her family and from her friends, it didn't have to be that way. They could have done better. And, she, and, and suddenly she realized she could never have imagined that because she had never seen it. And now that she had seen a parent do better, she wants that. And she wants to see herself the way the parent saw their child. Right. I mean, there are moments like that for just me doing the interviews that I felt changed. You know, I thought right. those, are, those are two examples of, I think, some really powerful moments in the film. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that. And um, I believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that everybody, not just in, um, in front of the camera, but behind the camera was either transgender or non-binary. Is that, is that correct? Or am I misremembering? Everyone in front of the camera is identified yes. as trans. Yes. Um, and behind the camera, we prioritized hiring trans crew. That's Everyone right. we hired was queer. Um, but when we couldn't hire a trans person, the non-trans person that we hired um, was excited about and understood that they would be mentoring a trans fellow. So any position we couldn't fill with a trans person, we mentored a trans person. So I we were, that. you know, paying it forward and, and, and it was an incredible experience to be on set. And anytime we had any downtime, I would turn around and see like, you know, someone drawing diagrams on, on the ground to teach, you know, a group of our fellows how to, how to light a certain situation. Um, right. And that was phenomenal. And, and, and a lot of our fellows have gone on already to make their own work and screen their own work and get jobs. And it just felt really important 
to me that we had to create these opportunities that don't exist. You know, if we're not going right. to do it, no one else is going to do it. And also that we had to model that it's possible because so many of these studios that want to, you know, tell a trans story for whatever reason that, you know, whatever their motivation is, they want to do it. They say that there's not enough trans crew to hire, right. Or, or whatnot. And they, it doesn't even dawn on them to create a mentorship. And so right. now I say to them, look, this little indie film did this. We did it really well. So you have no excuse. Right. And if you want to hire me to do it for you, just let me know. <laughs> I'll take care of it. But right. it can be done, and it can be done really beautifully. I absolutely love that. And it's got to create this in, intense positive energy on set, too, If because it's everybody that is, that is a sh, you know, in, in a certain way, a shared experience and an understanding of what this means, right? And I think it's not that, someone like me couldn't get it, but it's different. You know, it's a different experience. It's a different vibe. It's a different energy. And it's so amazing that everybody is either, um, like the crew, everybody either identifies as transgender or is mentoring. And I, I, that's powerful is all I have to say is I absolutely love that. Um, one thing that I'm curious about getting your perspective on, um, based on the stories that you were able to collect. Um, uh, one, one, a dear friend of the podcast, Nick North, he's been on the show a few times, a transgender man. He and I had a discussion uh, one of the times he was on about the fact that, so, so Nick, um, I know the listeners know, but Sam, for you, Nick uh, is a transgender man who birthed four of his five children. And so beautiful story. And um, he talked to me about his, his internal struggle with understanding that he transitioned into privilege. So he transitioned um, to become a, a white man and he presents very cisgender most of the time. And so he talked about the fact, one of the stories he told was he was aware, uh, I think he wrote a post called The Water is Different. And he wrote a post about how he recognized he wasn't being talked over in meetings anymore. He was being listened to. Everybody had rapt attention and they were waiting, hanging on his every word. And then in addition, he was at a conference where some women were talking about childbirth and someone had some concerns and he jumped in to share his perspective and was seen as mansplaining. And he, he told me, he said, you know, in that moment I had a choice. I could have said, no, 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 it's okay. I'm transgender. I birthed four of my five kids. I get it. He said, or I could take read the room, take the piece of feedback and use it as a development opportunity. I said, so what'd you do? He said, I, I apologize for speaking out of turn and then went on. And he said, and then later I gave my presentation at the conference and they understood, but he was like, I think it was more powerful that I demonstrated what a man should do in that situation and sitting down, being quiet and moving forward. But I, I would love to, I say all of that to circle back around and say, did you see or have you experienced either in this documentary or talking with other individuals about a similar type of idea or struggle with, um, to put it in, in Nick's words, transitioning into a place of privilege, societal privilege, I guess. So the, to the last part of that sentence again, did I, did sure. I see? Did you see or um, hear or experience, um, individual stories talking about an internal struggle like Nick was saying about transitioning into a state of privilege that they didn't previously experience? Um, not, not directly. You know, I, I stayed away from sort of transition stories. Um, sure. since that, you know, there've been so many documentaries about transition stories and, um, this film was not about individual transitions. Um, but what does speak to that is the, the conversations around the lack of visibility of trans guys and what that's about, right? Sure. And, um, you know, going from being sort of, a, you know, going from being seen as a, a female person in the world and dealing with the being invisible in a lot of those ways, and then transitioning to be what's seen as a masculine male person in the world, and then not seeing yourself reflected in the media at all as a trans guy, right. um, you know, is, it, is confusing for a lot of people. and that conversation was explored a lot, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, there's some, you know, on one hand, women are just more commodifiable in our culture, right? Women are second-class citizens, women are right. objectified, women are sensationalized, you know, it's, so it's the, the media knows how to package women in a way that will sell uh, based on their appearance. And 
that's one reason. Another reason is a lot of people don't think trans guys are real, that because you know, they just haven't right. seen many of us. So why are they going to tell stories about us? You know, there's a lot of reasons around that. So I think it was more looking at what the privilege of being, of, of now being a guy in the world and how that places you in the public sphere uh, when it comes to media and whether your stories are, whether you as a person, as a character is deemed worthy of having a story and, right. and why that is or why that isn't. Right. There was, um, you know, I think that's, that's really important to talk about the, the not seeing yourself uh, represented in in media. And I think there's so many times where, I, I mean, I've lost count of the number of family members or uh, colleagues or people I've known for a long time here in Texas say, well, I, none of these transgender folks were around when I was, when I was your age or, or none of these people were, um, you know, I, I don't think there's that many. I think there's less than we think. And the reality is there's a lot more than we think because of the fact that, um, because the way, to your point earlier, the way in which we're used to seeing transgender folks depicted in media is, you know, the 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 outlines that you talk about in the film as far as like the the big reveal of oh this person was tricking you and or or if it's not that it's a um um oh I forget the exact phrase but it's someone that's um you know someone that is a cisgender man for better for example like dressed in drag you know so a very but very obviously someone that um is trying to um give the illusion or appearance that they're quote unquote deceiving you so i mean it's just it's not a good handling and and i apologize for my clunky language at times i'm you know i'm also learning and so um but uh but great. i think thank you but i uh but i think it's important to talk about the fact that you don't have a lot of these stories and i wonder I wonder what um, the the what's the word I'm looking for? I wonder what the the root cause of that is. And and let me let me kind of couch this in in my thought process. Is I f I heard I heard a discussion, a panel discussion with uh, trans men and women sharing their perspectives as far as transitioning in the workplace, in the corporate workplace, and they talked about how. Um, the the transgender man gave his story about how he was more readily accepted into immediate social circles than the women when they were giving their story about transitioning. And he he hypothesized that he believed his experience was more accepted um, up front because it was more comfortable for his cisgender male white male colleagues to accept him as one of the guys quote unquote than some of the um the the women colleagues but he said also what i noticed is i started to disappear into that crowd um it was easier for me to kind of blend in once i started presenting a lot easier or a lot more and i noticed that wasn't um you know my my uh colleagues that were sitting next to him were constantly having questions um quite inappropriate questions about transitioning and what their name was and, and, you know, calling them the wrong name and then apologizing all this stuff. And so I, I almost wonder, and I think, I believe you do a great job of covering this as well, which is why I wanted to bring it up. The reason why I wonder if the reason why we see less um, transgender men representation on screen is because of that almost disappearing feeling of, of once one starts to present, is it almost more comfortable to kind of blend into the crowd, so to speak? And then when people are building out these stories to tell these stories, they don't go there. They go to what they are uh, conditioned to see, which is, you know, as you talked about women more commodified in society and, and media. So I'm curious to get your opinion on perhaps the lack of representation as far as, um, as far as people kind of putting it out of sight, out of mind, if that's the best way to say it. I think there, there, there's so many things at work um, when it comes to that issue. You know, on one hand, there's such a lack of creative imagination for storytellers when you get to the bottom line, when people are just trying to make money, you know, and you're getting these big industry projects and there's all this pressure. And so transness has so often been used as a narrative device, right? This easy right. go-to device that people use and they just recycle these tropes and these stereotypes over and over and over. Um, and it's, it's ridiculous and it's embarrassing. And right. simultaneously, 
because we live in a culture that idealizes masculinity so intensely, right? That gives yeah. so much, you know, that being, you can, it's a lot easier for young people who are born female assigned, right? And they're being socialized female to be a tomboy, right? right. I, I was praised for my boyish attributes as a kid. And I'm a very, I'm, I'm a feminine, um, I'm a, you know, now I'm read as a, as a, as a gay person, as a gay guy, you know, like right. that, that femininity didn't go away, just translated into a different type. So I was a, fem when I was a girl, when I was in, if I was a girl child, I was feminine, I had long hair and I, you know, I wore dresses, but whenever I put on a baseball cap and would run real fast, I got so much praise, right? Yes. That's because ever since that, you know, we love masculinity and women are rewarded for masculinity, you know? And so I think, you know, when you tell me about the work situation with your friend, you know, it's, I think it falls into this understanding of, of this horrible understanding, this horrible belief system that who wouldn't want to be a man? Everybody, you know, that's the best, exactly. as it is, that's the best it gets in this society, you right. know? And that leads to a lot of horrendous, you know, other paths and conversations yeah. and assumptions. But I think that's really deep in our culture where as someone who's giving up their manhood and becoming a woman, why would you do that? Being women, you know, what is the worst thing you can call anybody? If you think of all the pejorative terms, I don't know if this is probably not an R-rated show, so I don't want to say them, but think of pejorative terms, especially body parts that we insult yeah. people, right? Like right. the worst thing you can call anyone is a girl. And the worst thing you can go is calling them a girl, a woman's body part, right? Right. So yes. it's like, you, be, you instantly become a joke if you're trying, it, it, women are jokes, right? Women are not considered, we're, women just are not considered at, you know, to be of the same value. I mean, that right. we know this, I know I'm speaking to the choir here, but you, you just can't escape that when we think about, it's not just about the fact that trans men maybe blend, you know, or, you know, their, their transness isn't as quickly read. It's that you're just not seen as much of a joke because right. of the way the world holds that space. And I do truly believe if we lived in a society that if we switched that, I think you would see the same switch, right? If if we prioritize valued women, the way we value men, you would see that, that absolutely flip. You would see that dynamic flip. Um, there is nothing inherent about being a trans woman that is funny, that is a joke. There's nothing about that. And right. so it, it, it's just, we, have, we all have to accept the responsibility we have in how we see trans men and trans women and why that is and what we've internalized from our culture into how we then, you know, that comes up to our hearts and our minds and our eyes and how we understand the world. Like we all have internalized it so deeply. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, so I, I can go on and on and on about that. But, you know, so there's a lot of things at play. So, you know, trans men, you know, maybe a man can get, can get away quicker in our society for being short, whereas a tall woman stands out because women are scrutinized so much. Yes. Right? Yes. So even yep. a tall cis woman stands out and people always comment on how tall she is. Oh, what a big drink of water. You're so right. tall for a woman. You know, these things, women get yeah. so scrutinized. Um, yep. So, you know, so yeah, I'll, I'll leave it. Yeah. I can go on and on. Yeah. Well, I think that's also, you brought up a really good point about, uh, and you know, when we think about trans representation in media, I'm thinking about how many times I've seen a fiction story about someone who is transitioning male to female. And I think from, from a, I'll say for lack of a better word, Hollywood perspective, it's, this is the biggest shock value. This is the best, best bang for my buck kind of a thing. No one wants to see a, uh, and I'm, I, this is not me, Joe speaking. This is like what I believe an executive is speaking. Um, no one wants to see someone going from female to male. It's like, well, obviously that's a story that everybody can get behind. There's no money in that. There's no drama in that. Let's go the other way, male to female. There's, there's story we, we can build in. We can do shock value. We can do a big reveal, you know, whatever it is. And I think that's, you know, we hit on the fact that, which you cover as well, as far as like the multiple representations. And I just want to circle back to something that Zeke had said when he was talking about watching the L word, right? Yeah. And Max, I believe that was the character's name, Max yeah. transitions from female to male. And Zeke talking about how um, you as a audience member are supposed to not like Max because Max goes on testosterone, Max gets aggressive, Max starts getting job offers, all this stuff. And there's a big scene that you show about one of the characters and 
uh, saying, why would you give up the most special part of yourself to, to, to be a man, you know, just like on this big monologue. And it's, it's, it shows how, how damaging that type of narrative can be because the, this definitely has happened in real life, right? It was fictionalized for the show, but this has definitely happened in real life. And you as an individual, while you may think you're doing what you believe to be right, you are, you are, you are doing damage to someone's authentic self by sharing your opinion of their authentic self. And I think that is the number one thing that I took away as a parent and as an individual in this world is I need to do my part to help everybody feel that, that let me, let me, I'm not the savior for the world. That's not what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> you might be. Right. No. Um, but I mean, I think it's, we as a society, so I am one member of society, need to ensure that we are fostering an environment. There we go. Fostering an environment that empowers people to live their authentic selves and feel great about that. And that we are not, we are not saying, well, you would be good if you stayed a woman you know, but now you're just throwing it away by being transgender, being a transgender man or, or non-binary individual. Um, you know, and the, and the flip is true. Like you could do so much as a man, but you're choosing quote unquote to transition. You're choosing to be non-binary and now you're no longer as powerful as you once were kind of, you know, I'm using air quotes a lot, um, for those who can't see, but, but it just, I, I think that, that really stuck out to me was, the L word monologue, because that was the, one of the moments that really just resonated where I went, okay, we've got to do a lot better as a society, not only in, in fictionalized media, but also in just regular day-to-day -day life. And you take a sip of water after that. Was you say you feel better? That's good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it just, it, it, you know, it, it just, I feel like, there's just, there's, there's so much. And I just, I just finished um, reading Amateur by Thomas Page McBee. And one of the things that resonated with me is the scientific studies around masculinity as a whole. And, you know, being somebody that grew up a lot more um, emotional and sensitive, and then also needing to play sports because feeling like I needed to combat that, but also getting a, an undergrad in theater, you know, and balancing those two sides and being told like, well, you can do the theater, but you, you know, as long as you're doing the athletic aspect to kind of balance it out, you know, really messed me up for quite a bit growing up and, and was something that I had to reconcile with uh, later on in life. But hearing, reading his book, and one of the things that stood out to me, for those who haven't read it, definitely pick it up, was he talked about the study where they gave a group of individuals testosterone, higher levels of testosterone, and then gave another group of individuals um, no testosterone, just the placebo. And they noticed that the men that they gave the placebo to were more aggressive and prone to pick fights and just be loud and obtruse and, and because they thought they were on testosterone and that was their idea of what testosterone does to men, right? And, and the group of men they gave the testosterone to were a lot calmer and problem-solving driven because he, uh, the, the scientists who talked about that testosterone, um, the competitive aspect of doing whatever it takes to win is working towards finding a way forward, what works as far as um, what's the best thing for everybody. And it was just, it, it resonated with me and I, I'm getting some of it a little off, but the takeaway that I had was the placebo effect driven men were the ones that were more aggressive because they had this idea of what testosterone does, which is fundamentally flawed. And we have built that narrative based on stuff like the L word where it's like, well, this is what testosterone is doing. And this is what, how damaging it is. And that, you know, those two things just stuck out to me quite a bit. Um, I know we're starting to wrap up. I, I, yeah, but, um, but I wanted to get, before we kind of transition to or, or move to the last segment, I wanted to get your perspective on if there's one piece of advice you want to give parent listeners um, or something that's a mantra of yours or a takeaway, what is something that you would like to give to the listeners to kind of think on and then be able to apply to their lives? 
in terms of parenting a trans child or in terms of trying to raise more inclusive children like what is the takeaway that they can do to both empower themselves to be more inclusive and then also raise more inclusive children um, trans transgender children or cisgender children i'm not a parent sure so i feel I'm kind of having a war in my head right now of what, what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate because I don't know what it's like to be a parent. Sure. Um, I do have a puppy. Maybe I know a little bit. But <laughs> he's only has yeah. three legs. Um, yeah, schnauzer. Um, so, oof, uh, I mean, you know, the closest I've come to working with trans children um, is in a support group here in LA. It's called Transforming Families. And my friend Nick Adams runs it. He's in the documentary. Um, and it's so phenomenal because it's for the entire family, right? And so the entire family comes once a month on a Sunday to this space and the parents go in one room, the siblings go in another room, and then the trans child goes into the third space. And it's from toddlers up until like 26, right? And at one point I was working with a non-binary teenage group and they were, you know, I guess like 12 to 17, something like that. And I remember one of the first meetings, like at one point I was kind of bored because they were sitting around talking about like cereal. And I was like, why don't we talk about the real issues? But I didn't want to say that. I'm just sitting there being like, sure. God, these kids are talking about cereal and like memes. <laughs> and then I left the meeting and I was like, oh my God, that's what they need this space for. They right. need a moment where they're just a kid and they're around other kids and they're not so self-conscious about this trans thing. You know, they're battling the 23 other hours of the day and they have this one hour to just talk about cereal. Right. Yeah. So what is it that your child is feeling self-conscious about and how do you, and we're all going to spend our entire lives feeling self-conscious about something most of the time, you know, where are those moments that we can provide for any of our loved ones that reprieve from, from that, that anxious, that anxiety about how we're being seen, you know, and what, what is it, you know, that, you know, as an adult, I found when I swim in the ocean, it's the one time I'm not looking at myself, right. I'm not, wondering how people see me and how I see myself and the judging, right? I am in the water, the waves own me, you know? It's the one time my brain gets to rest. And I feel like it was that moment for those kids talking about cereal. They just, we got to relax for a minute. And, and it, it just, it, it, that, that's something I, I would love to know that every parent finds that for their child, you know, that, that right. moment. I love that. I absolutely love that. Well, this has been so great. And we're going to now go to the final segment of the show. So it's, uh, it's my favorite segment. It's the dad joke of the week. Uh, it's a segment where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guests in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans. But I can't hear the audience. I can only hear my guests, so it works out. Um, but I always like to put my guest on the spot first. Sam, do you have any jokes you would like to offer up today? What did the snail say on the turtle's back? Ooh, I don't know. What? <laughs> That's awesome. I absolutely love that. All right. So since it is summer and you're in LA and I'm in Texas and it is blistering hot in both places, I've got some heat themed jokes. So <laughs> I've got a couple. So first of all, uh, Sam, why does ice cream always get invited to the party? I don't know, Joe. Why does ice cream always get invited to the party? Uh, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, Sam, what does a bee do when it's hot? A bee. Now, this one I want to figure out. I don't know. What does a bee do? Uh, they take off their yellow jacket. Take off their yellow jacket. All right, all right. All right, last one, last one, last one. Uh, <laughs> Sam, which is faster, heat or cold? Which is faster? That's right, because you can catch a cold. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Sam, if people want to follow, yeah, you're welcome. If people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, we have a website, disclosurethemovie.com. We also have an awesome Instagram um, that uh, I have a team um, that, that runs our Instagram, and it's disclosure doc. 
Um, and our Twitter is Disclosure Doc, our Facebook is Disclosure Doc, um, any of those spaces. And we'd love to engage with people in all of those spaces. And we have a really awesome impact campaign, which is about partnering with community organizations and, you know, whether it's having conversation about the film or like, or this kind of conversation where it's like, how does this film relate to your, your dreams and goals and the, the, the issues you're committed to? You know, so we do, we, we do work with other, you know, parent groups or HR teams or, you know, seemingly unrelated, but like I like to say, um, unlikely allies, right? So we do a lot of events and Q and A's and panels and, and if any of your listeners, you know, or want to do something like that with us, please reach out and um, professors, teachers, whatnot. Um, we love to be engaged with everybody. That's awesome. I love that. Um, and we are going to put those links in the show notes as well as the link to Netflix where you can just click and instantly launch it because uh, it's awesome and you need to go watch it right away if you haven't. Um, we do need a hashtag for this episode, Sam. Should we go with hashtag disclosure? Is that what you're using or hashtag disclosure doc? What's the um, one for you? Hashtag disclosure Netflix. Disclosure Netflix. Perfect. Well, Sam, thank you so much. I really, really and truly appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. This is so much fun. Thank you. Well, listeners, next week, I'll be back with another great episode. But until then, hashtag Disclosure Netflix and hashtag Be A Better Dad. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.